Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. It's a good day to be alive. Amen. Well, we're in our series called Habakkuk, and uh, we're talking about faith. How many of you were here last week? Okay, many of you were here last week. Uh, the subtitle of our sermon series is Living by Faith. Everyone say faith. Living by faith in a world defined by feels or the feeling. And so we're talking about how we can live by faith. Before I do that, I want to just announce to the church we got some exciting news uh, right around the corner. Everyone say April 8th. April 8th is a Sunday after Easter. Uh, we, we, for actually several months, been praying. My wife and I have been praying with uh, our strategic team, executive team, and uh, we've, we've gotten counsel, and we really felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to uh, change venues. Not here, not here, um, but uh, some of you are like, are we going to Idaho City? Maybe. Um, but no, we're talking about our downtown campus, praying over our downtown campus, and really felt like God wanted us. Uh, it was a season thing to change venues, and so uh, there's a building like two blocks away from St. Paul Baptist Church where we're uh, at right now, and we're going to move there April 8th, and we're excited. Uh, we've talked to some of our leaders about this. Uh, this is going to be our basically our hard launch for our campus downtown. It's going to be a campus with two services. We're going to have a 5 o'clock service for our downtown campus people, and then we're going to have a 7 o'clock service for our GCD young people. And so we're going to kind of bring it together. It's going to be an exciting time. It's a, it's a great facility. Again, we didn't willy-nilly make this decision. We felt like this was the Holy Spirit. And so I um, want you to get behind it. At April 8th, we're going to have a big celebration down there. We'd like uh, to invite all of you to come down and check out uh, the building. We want to pack the place out. And uh, this will also be the last Sunday for Mark and Rochelle Francie as they transition to Southern California. How many of you know uh, Southern California needs Jesus? Yes, and we're sending our best. It's hard on us, but we're sending our best. And God's going to do an extraordinary work through Mark and Rochelle. So I uh, want to invite you out to uh, that service April 8th. Again, the service chi- uh, change of times is going to be on Sunday. It's a Sunday night, so we're really excited about that. At the Linen Building. I think I said that. Maybe I didn't. I did not say. So at the Linen Building. How many of you love these chairs? <clears throat> Lord have mercy. Like, if you come to church a lot, like, it's like my, like, I have no material now. I don't have any joke material because I joke with the red chairs all the time. So I don't know what I'm going to do, guys. I'm confounded. Uh, But, no, I love these chairs, and we want to thank Church Home, formerly City Church, for donating these church to, or these chairs, this church, these chairs to us. Amen. All right, turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And uh, Habakkuk, he's, he's talking about faith, and uh, he's been complaining in chapter 1. Do we have any complainers here? Trick, don't raise your hand. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of those who about half of you raised your hand. All right, all right. Uh, verse 1, uh, he writes, and, and we'll, we'll explain uh, kind of what he's um, talking about over the next probably 15, 20 minutes. He goes, I will stand my, or I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what God will say to me. So he's been complaining in chapter one. Uh, he's been kind of having a, a, a dialogue with God about the problem of evil. How many of you know there's some bad stuff in our world? Right? Some bad stuff. So he's talking about some bad stuff. And so this is what he says. And I'm going to look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's complaining, and he's waiting for God to respond, and then he wants to complain in response to God's response to his complaint. So Habakkuk, man, he's kind of freaking out, okay, kind of frustrated about some stuff. Verse 2, and then the Lord answered me and said this, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. He may run who reads it. How many of you believe that vision is good? You need some vision. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need some vision. Without vision, we can't be who God's called us to be. We can't truly be human. 
So he says in verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. In other words, this vision is about the story of creation. Uh, God is overseeing creation itself and bringing it to its uh, uh, end into flourishing. And then God continues the vision. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, slow is a matter of perspective for us. When God, every moment, past, present, future to God is the now because God exists tenselessly, um, it, it kind of um, evokes this sense of, well, maybe my perspective is a little bit different than God's perspective. But this is what God says, hey, even from your perspective, if it seems slow, wait for it. Everyone say, wait. You wait for it, it will surely. Everyone say, it will surely. Do we have any Shirley's here, right? I, anyways, it will surely, come on, surely. Can, can you say that? Everyone say surely. One more time. I want to make sure you're awake this morning. Surely, it will surely come. You wait for it. Turn to your neighbor and say wait for it. You wait for the vision. It will surely come. It will not delay. We got a problem with delay, right? We'll talk more about that in the next few minutes. Verse 4, behold, again, God is still having a conversation with Habakkuk. Behold, his soul is puffed up. He's talking about Babylon. Babylon is the spiritual archetype of arrogance and power and um, pride and radical evil. And uh, he says, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous, but the just person. One translation says, but the one who is really, really alive. Or in my words, the one who is fully human shall live by his faith. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I, I thank you that you're here this morning. And we bless you. Lord, I love second service. We thank you for doing uh, a deep work in us. We just say yes to you, Holy Spirit. We love you, and we thank you for uh, your presence in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I, so this week, as I was kind of writing out my message, I realized, and I think this is true for all of us, I think we got a problem. Everyone say problem. I think we got a problem with time. How many of you like lines? Right, so I, I, we, we, I don't think most of us like lines. Most of us don't like waiting. Everyone say waiting. And I think we have a problem with, with time, duration of, of time. Uh, for example, I'm, I'm thinking this week and writing about waiting, and I felt like God would just wanted to test me. So I felt like every day I got in the longest line possible. You know what I mean? This is like a bad preacher's joke. This is why we don't preach on Job, because we don't want to be tested, right? I love my wife and I love my kids. God don't take them, right? So uh, it just feels like, you know, when, when you're writing on something and you're, you're studying on something, God wants to test it. So this week was a big test for my patience, and I had to wait on a lot of different stuff. Before I kind of share just a, some, a, a quick story, uh, we as, as Americans have a great problem, or we could call it perception. And the perception is that there's a chronic shortage of time out there. In other words, there's not enough. So some psychologists will call it, we, we suffer from hurry sickness, right? We're, there's, there's a stinking sickness in our soul. It's called busy. So we're pathological busy. How many parents do we have here? And you know what, what busy is, right? You go from one thing to the next, and we're just in this perpetual state of distraction. And so a lot of us, when it comes to delay or when it comes to waiting on something, it can be a frustrating experience. So this last week, um, actually several stories that I could just talk for three hours because I know you want me to talk for three hours about. But uh, one particular story, I remember I, had, I rushed, I was rushing uh, to the grocery store. I had to run some errands for my wife, and uh, I, I kind of know what she wants, um, and it's pretty exotic stuff, but I figured out, you know, I finally figured out where all these different weird foods are, and so I run into the store and get up, you know, get her food. I'm, I'm excited at this point. Like, I'm kind of running around. People kind of know there's this, this redheaded guy with, you know, with some frenetic energy. He needs to chill out. I don't care, but I get all this stuff, 
I go, I run to the front of the store. Actually, I didn't run. I walked, okay? Sort of ran. Um, Sort of pushed someone to the side. Anyways, got to the front of the store, and the worst thing happened. Instantly got frustrated. I saw that every checkout line was filled with people. And if you've ever experienced anything like this, this is just kind of my experience, uh, and this is what I do. I always look for the shorter line, right? You're always doing that. So I felt like... I got pretty frustrated. Again, I have a problem with time. I think we all kind of have a problem with time. So uh, I kind of prayed really quick, and I felt like God parted the waters, right? And I found that perfect line. I kind of like, I didn't want to like, um, uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking, looking for? Cut. Any cutters here? So I'm just kind of making sure I'm not cut in front of any old ladies. I want to be respectful. Some people know that I'm a pastor. I don't want to freak out in front of people. But I kind of pretended like I didn't see anybody, and I kind of just went for this line. And so God taught me a lesson about waiting because I got in the longest line that I have ever been in in my life. I'm not joking. Have you ever, have you ever had to make that decision? You're kind of a little bit indecisive. You're like, I got 10 lines. It's filled with people. What line do I choose? You choose that line. And isn't it frustrating when you're kind of like going back and forth and the lines are just going through? Like, and you regret your decision? So that was my experience. People are just going through. I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's just like people just, they, they know what they want and they're paying. And I'm in the line where people, for whatever reason, when they get to the checkout line, they're surprised to be asked for their money. You know? It's like I don't get it when people don't have, like, their cards ready to pay. It's like when you get to the line, you better get your act together. So I'm thinking in my head, like, ah, you should have your wallet out. If you have your Apple Pay, pay quick, right? Or get your credit card out. But literally, like, the four people in front of me acted as if they've never been in a checkout line before in their life. And uh, I remember just being really, really frustrated with waiting. Like, I'm the most important person in the universe. I got things to do, right? Kind of that running commentary in our heads. Why is that person in front? How dare that? Isn't it funny how we pathologize people? We don't even know what they've been through that day, and we just automatically assign global labels to them. They're sloths. You know what I mean? Like, this is what Zootopia taught me, that I just hate sloths. Right, I just, I, I just lost, you know, I just slowness, idleness, and I just automatically assume that these people don't care. They think they're the, they're the center of the universe, and I'm the one that's working from an assumption that I'm the most important person, right? And so um, God taught me a lot about um, waiting. It happened at the NCAA tournament. Uh, I was fortunate to go. Um, yesterday, I took my two boys. Uh, what I loved about going to the NCAA tournament is I can eat bad food. Can I get any man to that? So they got hot dogs, they got red vines. How many of you love red vines? Love red vines, and we, we got some Pepsi. And then the, the denouement of the whole evening was that salted pretzel. So we got three of them. We got seven hot dogs for three men, right? My boys are, are half man, half honey badger, and a little bit of human, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so we got uh, hot dogs, and we got a red vines, and we're just kind of living the dream. Well, before we did that, we had to get in line. It was just kind of frustrating. I remember just sitting there. Like, what do you do when you're in line? Like, no one talks to each other, right? Everyone's like zombie-like. And it's just like, oh, man, it's just, it's really frustrating. It feels like forever. My kids had the same problem. If you, if Parents, if you have kids that have ever done this, you've been on a trip. We've been on several trips to Seattle over the last few years. And my kids instantly, they get in the car, and their first thing that they say, Dad, when are we going to get there? And I'm like, kids, we haven't even left Meridian. <laughs> so I do think, don't point to your neighbor. This is just this American uh, way of life we do have a problem with time so does Habakkuk in chapter one the very first thing that he says is actually his complaint is formed around how long he says in verse one God how long are you not going to listen to my prayer how, how, hey how long are you not going to pay attention to my pleas have you ever have you ever asked God or at least thought to God Or thought to yourself about God, God, how long are you going to let me wait 
on this promise? Right? It, essentially, the, the complaint is formed around how long and behind, the logic behind how long is this idea that God is kind of like a cosmic idler or maybe a cosmic absentee landlord. Habakkuk is essentially saying, hey, God, hey, I, heaven's okay, I hear. Like, there's no problems up in heaven, but earth, right? Murder and mayhem, it's all over the place. Justice, it's kind of a joke, right? The Raiders, why are they still a franchise? How long, how long, how long? And some of you are asking that question today, or you asked that question this week. God, how long, how long is my marriage going to be this way? How, how long am I going to be sick? I thought you said in your word that you, you went to the cross and you healed us of all of our diseases. Maybe there's some parents here today, you're asking the question, like, how long? I've been praying for my kids, and they're not serving Jesus. God, how long is it going to take for them to come back to you? And maybe some of the single people here, you're like, God, I've been doing the right thing. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I've been living a holy life. Can I get an amen? Give me a high five, right? And, uh, and I'm exactly where you want me to be, and where's my future spouse, right? We, we ask those questions, how long, how long, how long, how long? We don't like to wait. And yet in this vision, God comes and says, uh, Habakkuk, you're going to, the nature of faith is learning the art of waiting. In fact, we fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus, he makes it very clear in many parables, you know, the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge, that when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is a waiting period. When it comes to the parables of, of the weeds and the wheat, uh, the kingdom of God uh, is related to waiting. It's learning to wait for the kingdom of God. We have the parable of the leaven, and we have the parable of the mustard seed, and Jesus essentially is saying, hey, my kingdom is coming to this earth, but it's like a slow growth. It's not going to be on your time table, right? I have my time series. I have my time flow. I see everything as now. You're just going to have to learn to trust me because my kingdom will come in an appropriate way at the right moment. So what, what is waiting? Like, what does waiting teach us? Why do we have to wait? Well, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, waiting teaches us to learn to live by faith. Waiting teaches us to learn to live by faith. Why? Because if you're in a line, that line, even though it feels like forever, has an end. I say this all the time. I've been to Disneyland, and we've been in incredibly long lines, but the unbelievable always happens you stink and arrive. You might be in a long line at the grocery store, and it might feel like, come on, everyone say it with me, forever, right? But that line has an end. You will arrive. And so waiting teaches us that there is an end. I want, I want to get a good amen on this. There's an end to everything. There's an end to that bad season. There's an end to that bad relationship. There's an end to that suffering. There's an end to that difficulty. There's an end to that sickness. Can I get an amen? In fact, the end is always God's word. God will always have the last word. The end is not the apocalypse. The end is not not tragedy. The end is not disaster. The end is not abandonment. The end is not annihilation. The end is not, oh, I'm bereft. No, the end is healing. The end is forgiveness. The end is a new season. So we learn to live by faith when we have to wait in lines. But it also, number two, if you're taking notes, and this is just a quick thought, it also teaches us something about humility. Man, when I'm in a line, I'm like, I realize, oh, there are other people here. That my needs are not, are, are not the most important needs in the universe. There are other humans around me. And it teaches me, okay, God, I, um, in the waiting, as I learn to practice faith, I know that there's an end 
but it produces this radical sense of humility. Okay, God, I got to wait, which makes me think that I'm not in charge, which makes me think that, okay, if I'm going to make it, right, if I'm going to thrive, God, you're going to have to take control. So waiting teaches us that there is an end to everything and that God's word is the last word. It also teaches us and produces this radical sense of humility. So why should we be patient? Number one, because God is patient. God is patient. Amen. And let me just say this really quick. Behind impatience, always, if you were to strip down impatience to its roots, you know what you would find? You would find a lack of trust in God's goodness. We want to take shortcuts. We don't want to la- wait. Uh, we want things our way. Why? Simply because we don't trust in God's good, loving, and faithful character. God, even though, even though we're impatient, is always patient with us. Amen. So God brings a vision to Habakkuk. The vision is a little bit um, unclear. We don't have timing. There are not a lot of details. Uh, all we know is that God tells Habakkuk that he's going to annihilate Babylon. Eventually, there will be a future exodus for creation. It's still kind of clouded or shrouded in ambiguity. Uh, there's not a lot of detail in this vision. We just know that God's in charge. And this is kind of the nature of, of vision. And I really want to encourage you this morning. Some of you are like, God, I just need the full picture of my life. God, I just need you to give me more details, right? God, I need you to show me everything. Well, I just think if God showed you everything, you probably would say no to the call of God. Like, I'm convinced that I would not be here today preaching and living my life for Jesus if God showed me everything that I would have to go through. God doesn't want to give us all the details because I think he's just trying to protect us. And if he showed us the full picture of what he was going to do and what he was going to work through and how he's going to contain evil and how he was going to produce good out of it, again, I just think we couldn't be able to handle that. And God is so good that he'll just give you enough and then he'll say, trust me. I'm just going to give you a little bit of vision here. I'm going to give you a little bit of thoughts here. Don't worry about all the details. You just live by faith. Psalm 119 is very clear. The word of God is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, right? I wish, I wish the text said the word of God was like a sun, right, illuminating everything. No, it's just a little lamp, right? It just shows you exactly what you need, The word of God, the word of God is what we need and what we need to live by, which sheds light, a necessary light on what God wants us to do. But this vision, this vision is exactly what Habakkuk needed. And then God says, I want you to live not by your feels. Everyone say your feels. I don't want you to live by your moods. I want you to live by faith. If you're taking notes, we can, uh, you can write this definition down. Faith is trusting God's character when you don't understand. Faith is trusting God's character when you don't understand. Let me, let me sharpen that up a little bit. God, faith, in other words, is aligning uh, your vision or what you see or how you see with how God sees things. I think it's important for us to understand that our vision is limited. That we are creatures. In, in essence, uh, our vision is myopic, right? We, we have limitations on how we see things. That's why it's important that we root our trust or our vision in God's character. God is the one who built the cosmos. God is the one who stretched out the horizons. God is the one uh, who named these far-flung galaxies, God is the one who created animals and protons, invented math, right? God is the one who created the color red. He's the one that made creation itself. And we know in Psalm 136 that God is not just all-powerful, but God is the one who loves us with an everlasting love. God's love never quits. 
God's, God's love uh, it never stops. It never tires out. It never wears out. God can't help but love us every single day. In fact, Psalm 33 tells us that the earth is drenched in the affectionate satisfaction of God's faithfulness and love. So if, if you're not quite sure who God is, let me just tell you, God is a God who drenches, who surrounds creation with his love and his goodness and his generosity. In other words, if you were to somehow tap into like the basic element of the entire space-time universe, you know what you would find? You would find the radical generosity of God himself. God is faithful to who God is and he can't stop loving you. And we're called to ground our faith in God's love. So what is faith? I'm going to riff off uh, C.S. Lewis a little bit. Uh, you, can, you can read this in Mere Christianity. Faith, um, defined by C.S. Lewis, is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your moods. It's the art, everyone say the art. It's the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your moods. Anyone in here have feelings? Feelings, right? Come on. None of us in this room are like unfeeling automatons or robots. We feel things every single day. Here's the thing, your, your moods will change. Your moods will change, your feelings will change. Um, and uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he warns uh, every Christian or every follower of Jesus that there's almost like this conspiracy of our moods. There's a rebellion of our moods against our faith. You know, we go through, like, we'll, we'll have a really good experience at church, or maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll open up our Bibles and we'll hear God speak to us. And isn't it funny? It's just curious to me how maybe a couple hours go by, and, uh, and this is after having a real encounter with God, and then it's just, I don't know what happens. You, you eat the wrong food, right? Maybe it's some pizza, maybe some sushi, or maybe you're just having a bad day. The Cowboys lose, right? Whatever. And then your moods just flip. And then it feels like, like three hours before with that God encounter, that feels like three years ago. Moods are fickle. Funny, little, crazy things. Right? They don't want to listen to faith. They don't want to listen to God's word or to his promise. There's almost like this conspiracy in our moods, in our feels against the promises of God. And C.S. Lewis, he said this emphatically, um, that the heart of being a Christian, it's, it's learning to teach your moods where to get off. I love that, right? Let's just pretend you're driving your car, right? You're in the driver's seat. No, 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 Jesus is... He took the wheel, right? You're the passenger, right? And your moods are in the back. You have a decision every single day. If your moods are getting the best of you to stop that car, listen to God's word, and tell your moods this is where you're getting off. Can I get an amen to that? And if you can't learn how to, how to teach your moods where to get off, how to tell your feels that you're not going to dominate me, uh, you'll never, ever be a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather or the state of your digestion. We don't live by digestion alone. We don't live by blood sugars alone. We don't live by reports alone, good or bad. We don't live by how we feel. We don't live by someone else's opinion about us. We don't live by the mood in our geopolitical setting. We don't live by politics alone, right? We don't live just by what the White House says or what that authority or that expert says. We live by faith. So he recommends a couple of steps if you want to solve the problem of the feels. Um, you have to train. Everyone say train. You can't just try to have faith. You have to train yourself into faith. 
Like trying, for example, is like me, and I've used this as, uh, many times as an example. I love donuts. How many of you love donuts? Like maple bars are amazing. I heard John Calipari. How many of you know John Calipari? Oh, my God. Kentucky Wildcats. Lord, have, I, I need to pray for you, okay? Hall of Fame coach. Anyways, he went to um, DK Donuts like three straight days. I lived pretty close to there. I was really disappointed that I didn't show up. Uh, anyways, he loves donuts. Uh, kind of, you know, that's kind of where we're basically best friends. Um, it, but uh, I just have a, a, an affinity for maple bars, and I've tried. I have tried days not to eat a maple bar. And every time I try not to eat, everyone say try. When I try not to eat a, a maple bar, it's funny how I reinforce my desire to eat a maple bar. Like when you try not to eat something, what happens? Like you start thinking about it. And the more you start thinking about it, you're just like, oh my God, that's the most amazing thing. And so the more you start thinking about something, the more you want it. So when, when your focus is on trying not to do something, you'll end up eventually doing it, right? So I remember days where I'm eating five or six maple bars after making a commitment that I would not eat maple bars. So we don't just try to live by faith. This week, I, I think it's a bad strategy. I recommend you not going out into the world and trying to live by faith in your own strength. Not gonna happen. You can't try to live by faith. You gotta train yourself to live by faith. And we'll talk about how, how we can do that. But the first step in solving the problem um, the contemporary problem of the feels in our life is we have to recognize the basic fact that our moods will change. Your feelings will change. You might have a good day on Monday, bad day on Tuesday. You might, your moods might be like a roller coaster this week, but that's okay. We can all recognize, hey, I'm not always going to feel like reading my Bible. I'm not always going to feel like spending time in prayer. I'm not always going to feel like coming to church. I'm not always going to feel like maybe doing the right thing. But we have to recognize that the basic fact, our moods will change. The second thing that we have to recognize is we have to continually, daily, everyone say daily, daily remind ourselves of what we believe. got to remind ourselves. Isn't that kind of a funny thought? we got to remind ourselves of what we believe. Neither our belief or any other belief will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. You have to feed your faith if you want to live by faith. you got to train yourself to live by faith. So how, how do we do that? How do we train ourselves to live by faith? How do we live by faith? Uh, Habakkuk gives us three practical points. Number one, um, verse one of chapter three, Habakkuk says this. He goes, a prayer. Everyone say, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to, we'll call him Shigs, right? Or Shiggy. Was that up there? Everyone say Shiggy, right? Some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? I just want to make sure that it was up there. Shig's right there. Okay. We'll call him Shig or Shiggy. I like Shiggy better. How many like Shiggy better? Okay. So a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to um, Shiggy. All right. Chapter three is one long prayer. You get the, when, when you read through chapter three, you realize, oh my gosh, Habakkuk uh, is a prayer-er. He, man. He prays a lot. Like with his detail and kind of the, the poetry and the, how vivid and descriptive he is, you realize that, man, prayer for Habakkuk is not some additional thing that he does. Prayer is not like occasional, okay, man, I'm having a bad day or I'm going to bed, I need to say my prayers or, you know, I need to bless this food to my body, whatever. No, prayer is like the most important thing to Habakkuk. And we get a, a cryptic, well, we can call it a clue on how Habakkuk learns to live by faith as he waits for God's justice. He prays. He prays. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, we say this a lot, it's verse 28 through 30, Jesus is talking to like those who are weary and tired and exhausted. And he says, guys, I want you to come to me. 
And guess what? I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you exactly what you need. How many of you love that passage? Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I mean, people love it, but it's like so many Christians don't experience that, right? That Jesus is not like some cosmic version of Bob Ross, right? Not that therapeutic, the painter. How many of you love the painter on PBS? I listen to him. I watch him before I go to bed. It is amazing. He'll put you to sleep like that. So what Jesus, he says, I'm going to give you rest, but he's not saying I'm going to give you therapy. Jesus, he doesn't offer vacation. In the words of one scholar, he should probably offer a bed to all those who are tired. Can I get any man, right? What does Jesus offer? He offers, and we talk about this a lot, he offers a yoke. Hey, I'm going to give you rest, but I'm going to give you a yoke. Why a stinking yoke? That's a work instrument. That feels hard. Like yoke? Really? Put it on my shoulders? That feels exhausting, right? Well, Jesus is working from an assumption in the ancient world where farmers would take two oxen and they would put them together. An older oxen who understood the rhythms of plowing and they would uh, take this wooden instrument and join an older oxen with a younger oxen. The younger oxen, they didn't know how to plow. Uh, If they were left to themselves, they would plow erratic lines. So what farmers would do, they would take a younger oxen who didn't understand the ways of plowing and farming and would yoke them up with an older oxen. It was the older oxen that would teach the younger ox, right, to carry life. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, it is in prayer that you learn to give me all your frustrations all your freak out moments, all your problems, all your issues, because you were never designed by God to carry life. You were never designed by God to carry your frustrations and your problems. Isn't it funny how we talk to everybody about our problems, but it's rare that we actually first go to Jesus and give him our problems? So Jesus is saying, hey, you come to me, um, I'll give you a yoke, And uh, I'll take on what only I can take on. There are some things that we try to carry that only God can carry. So prayer, behind, behind prayer, the logic behind prayer is just a simple idea that we're not in charge. And there are God sized problems that we were never intended to carry in our lives. And it's in prayer when we're waiting for justice. How many of you are waiting on something today? You're waiting on something. How do you learn to walk by faith? Daily give yourself to prayer. And it's in prayer that you learn to love the presence of Jesus. And then you don't care about your problems because the presence of Jesus is so incredible and so breathtaking that every other desire, every problem is simply relativized. It's put in its place. When you see how great God is, everything else gets really, 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 really small. So Habakkuk practices the habit of prayer. The second thing that he does is he is a person who loves God's word. He, uh, I'm going to read this really quick, beginning in verse 2. This is one long prayer. Habakkuk writes, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. Revive your work. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember, everyone say mercy. Wrath is a shadow side of God's love. If God does not address evil, evil will carve up this world, turn it upside down, create this out of jointness, and throw creation off its ark. So God, because he loves creation and he loves people, must judge evil. Can I get an amen? That's wrath. Wrath is not arbitrary. Wrath is not some, like, God is, like, in cosmic idol mode, and then he just gets really angry at people. That's not wrath. Wrath is an appropriate uh, response to people not listening to the loving creator. But in wrath, Habakkuk says, remember mercy. And then he continues, God came from uh, to men and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Everyone say praise. And then he says, Selah. Verse 4, His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. 
And he continues, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Isn't it beautiful? He continues, I saw the tents of, of cushion in affliction. The, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and, and writhed. Uh, the raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. Verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of, of the arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. He continues, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. Everyone say salvation. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. Verse 14. You pierced with his own arrows the head, the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. And then he kind of builds towards verse 15. You trample the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Verse 16. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, everyone say yet. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble or justice to come upon people who invade us. This, this prayer is actually filled with allusions to the original Exodus. I want you to imagine Habakkuk. One day, he just gets his journal. How many of you like the journal? Gets his little journal, gets out his little parch, parchment, little whatever, writing instrument, okay? And he starts writing and reflecting and remembering as he waits for God's justice on what God did in the original Exodus how he trampled the waters, the sea, the Pharaoh, how God set his people free, liberated them from dehumanizing uh, circumstances, from slavery itself, and how he moved them through the mighty waters, how he parted the Red Sea, and how he brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And so what he's doing is he's meditating on Scripture as he journals, as he writes this one long prayer. You see, the Word of God is the sine qua non. It is the essential basis for living by faith. Paul says very clearly, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from his word. Psalm 1 declares, those who meditate on the word of God, they shall, what? They shall be like trees planted by rivers of water. The word meditate is kind of associated with like just a, a, like a common illustration, my dog Theodore. How many of you have dogs? Um, they, my, my dog in particular, he's, he's like 12 pounds. He acts like he's like a 50-pound bulldog. Um, so he, he growls a lot, he snarls a lot, but what he, he loves more than anything is a big bone. And so when we bring a bone home, he'll, like, he'll grab it, he'll chew it, he'll bark at it, he'll lay on it, like he'll snuggle with it, like he licks it, he tries to eat it, right? If you have dogs, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Like he'll go into a corner of the house and for hours he just chews on this bone, the word meditate actually is kind of similar to this evocative picture of a dog chewing on a bone. As you meditate like that on God's word, that's when faith will come to your soul. That's when faith will come to your heart. It just seems like Habakkuk, it's just like reading God's word is a daily thing. I'm convinced in the age that we live in, that we can't, if, if we want to be who God's called us to be, if we want to practice love, enemy love, if we want to practice goodness to our neighbor, if we want to be neighborly and we want to reflect the love of Jesus and his grace to our world, we're going to have to learn to meditate on God's word every single day because it's in his word that we find life. It's in his word that our mind is shaped. It's in his word that we're reminded of what we believe. It's in his word that we feed our soul and we feed our mind. That's why Jesus said, man, we, we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So in the wait, waiting for God's justice and putting the cosmos, creation, our life, 
back together. We're called to pray, number one, daily. Number two, reading God's word on a consistent basis. How do we read God's word? Number one, read all of it. Can I get an amen? I want to challenge you, read all of scripture. Like some of us, we're kind of like, we're like Psalm people. How many love the book of Psalms? Like, you know, if, if you read that for 10 years and that's all you read, you're good. it's going to be great. But you're going to be really artistic and you're going to be singing a lot, right? You're going to be a feelings person. You're going to probably be complaining and sharing your frustrations with God all the time, right? Uh, some of you need a little bit of Proverbs. You need some, some of you have literally no practical bone in your body. You think angels are going to pay your bills, right? Because you've been living in Psalms. You've been living in Zephaniah, right? All these apocalyptic images. You need to go to Proverbs every now and then and learn to pay your stinking bills. Some of you, you're too, you've, you've, been, you've been camped out in Proverbs, and you're way too practical. You need to get spiritual. You need to get your head out of your, like, out of your own thinking, and you need to get your head into God's thinking and into his promises. So you, you need to go to Psalms, or you need to go to the Gospels. It's funny, like, we don't, we don't the way we treat the Bible, we don't treat food. Like, we, we're not going to eat a Taco Bell for three straight years every single day, right? You're going to be weird, right? And your body's going to be dead, Right? You can't do that. There's an assortment. You need some broccoli. You need some smoothies. Every now and then, treat yourself with a chocolate shake. Come on. You need an assortment of food. So when it comes to reading your Bible, you need all of God's word. The second thing is, I just recommend read with groups. I'm not totally into private reading. I, I get it. It's great. I'm not going to talk to you about my theory of exegesis, but I think it's important that we read with other people that are further along in their faith with Jesus. They can help us read Scripture. So reading your Bible is essential. And then we end here, and then I'm done. The last thing that we're called to do as we wait for God's just, justice is uh, worship. He ends. This is the most beautiful. It's lyrically beautiful. I love verse 17 and 18. This is the end of, of this book. We quote it all the time. And I'm just going to read it. He says this in this hypothetical situation. It's a little bit apocalyptic. He goes, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He says that. It's like essentially he's saying Costco's out of food. Target, bankrupt. Farmers, going on a strike. We got no food. We got no produce. And then he says, yet. Everyone say, yet. Isn't it funny? At the beginning of this book, he's frustrated. He's freaking out. He's like, God, how long? Right? I kind of think you're a cosmic absentee landlord. Why aren't you going to fix my stinking problems? And then God gives him a vision. Hey, there's a choice. You can live by your frustration. And it's going to exhaust you. It's going to wear you out. Or you can live by your faith. And then in response to that, Habakkuk starts to practice prayer. He starts meditating on the word of God. And what does that lead him to? It leads him to worship. He goes, even though, and I know you're good, God, and I know you have the last word, and I know you're going to bring healing, and I know you're going to fix this problem, and you're going to fix my kids. Can, can I get an amen? You're going to fix my body. And even though I can't see it right now, yet... I love this. This is a beautiful statement of faith fleshed out in poetry. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread or negotiate the rugged terrain or the high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. The last thing, we go from frustration to faith. God moves Habakkuk from freaking out trying, and worry into worship. You know what I love, you know what I love about worship? And this is, this, is, this is the whole time I realize God is doing something in Habakkuk, the prophet. He's moving him. It's a journey. Everyone say a journey. It's an adventure, right? And God is patient with Habakkuk. And he, God, over time, brings Habakkuk to this point where Habakkuk doesn't care about himself anymore. 
He says, I used to think that, man, and I know you're going to take care of my problems, but I realized because I've just been spending more time with you and I've been in your presence, I'm not sweating the problems anymore. Why? Because I have you. You see, what the heart of worship is learning to forget yourself. One, one person, um, I heard this story a while ago. Some of you heard me say this before. There was a lady who didn't like worship one day. It was on a Sunday. She went to the pastor after the worship experience and said, hey, pastor so-and-so, I just want to let you know I don't really like Hillsong. I want a little bit more Bethel, and I'm kind of frustrated with our worship experience lately. And the pastor, such a good pastor, turned to this really nice woman and said, well, thank God worship isn't about you. You know why we get in trouble? You know why our lives get thrown off arc? The reason why we go against the grain of God's purpose and his will is because we reduce life to what I can get out of it. Worship teaches you that God is the most important. And when you can prioritize God as the most important, every problem gets lined up, gets shaped up by the grace of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, you seek first the righteousness of God, and his, you seek his kingdom, and all these things will be lined up in your life. But when you have God, you don't care if they line up or not. And they will. But what you care about is being with Jesus. I'm going to end with a quote, Brendan Manning. He said, I think this is in the signature of Jesus. He said this, all that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. I can truthfully say that. I have no interest in anything but the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants it to, my life will be useful through my word and witness. If he wants it to, my life will bear uh, fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. It would be indecent of me to worry about that. Why? Because I have God. I have his presence. So God moves him from problems uh, to new perspective, as one pastor said, into praise. This is where I want us to be. I want us to feed our faith by learning to pray every single day. I want us to feed our faith by learning to be in God's word and meditating on the word of God all the time. And the outflow of that will be worship and praise. Here's the thing. God is not some utility. God is not a means to an end. He's not a cosmic vending machine. Like so many times we go to God, God, God fix my problems. And then once he fixed our problems, we're like, see you later. No, God is an end. Just so you know, everything you think is an end actually points to the real end, and that's Jesus. Some of you think drink's an end. I'm sorry. That's just a cheap parody of what you can get in God. Some of you think sex is an end, but that's just a cheap parody of what you can get in God. And sex within the context of marriage is a good thing. Can I get an amen? And all the married couples said amen. And all the singles weep right now. That joke. We think power, fame, the stuff that we can get, like somehow that's an end. All of that is a cheap imitation of what only God can give you. I want you to be God-focused this year. I want you to be Jesus-centric. I want you to give your heart to him. I don't want you to just give the lip service, but I want you to organize and structure your life every single day around the presence of Jesus. And come rain, sunshine, hell, or high water, it ain't no thing. Because God is in my life. Or, we can say it correctly, I'm in his life. Can I get an amen? I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you that your word is already at work in us this morning. Lord, take this word, and we declare your word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and let it come to life in us right now. Lord, let it bear fruit. Lord, I just declare, if, could you just, if your eyes are closed, heads back, could you take your hand and put it on your heart? I declare today, our hearts are good, good soil. Lord, I thank you that, that there's going to be a return on this word. Holy Spirit, I thank you for giving every son and daughter in this room power 
to be who you called them to be. Lord, our desire is not to live by our moods or, our, or the feels. Our desire is to fight the good fight of faith. And we realize today that we can't try to live by faith. We've got to train ourselves. And Lord, as our eyes are closed, I just ask you would help us. This is not a word of condemnation, but I ask you would help everyone in this room this week. We'll just talk about this week. This week to, to practice being with you, Jesus, as we pray. Practice being with you as we read and study and meditate on your word. Lord, as we worship you every single day, Lord, I thank you that you would begin to reshape us or turn us right side up. Lord, get, remove the stinking thinking that we talked about last week. Do mental hygiene. Renew our thinking. Father, do a fresh work in our life. And I pray as our hands are on our heart that we would understand the value, the value of being with you as we pray as we read your word and as we worship. And Father, I just ask you would forgive us for using you as a utility, as a means to get something that we want outside of you. Holy Spirit, I just ask you would reset our priorities, reset our heart. Help us to put you as our first thing. Lord, forgive us for making fifth things first things. Help us to keep first things, first things. And Lord, I thank you second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth things will be lined up as we prioritize you over everything else. Lord, I thank you this is a word of life. It's not judgment. It's not a word of condemnation. Lord, I pray you would come by your grace and flood us with your presence in Jesus' name. As your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed, you would say, Chris, I'm, I'm that person. I've been like asking God, how long is this gonna be? I've been praying for my babies, my kids. They're away from you. And uh, to be honest, I've kind of grown weary and tired. Maybe you've been praying for healing in your body. You've been sick for a while. Maybe you've been praying for a relationship. Maybe you're praying for your marriage. Maybe you're praying for something at your work. And it just feels like you're in this never-ending cycle of waiting in line. I want to pray for you. I want to pray right now that God would encourage you. And this is the word of the Lord to you. That, that waiting season will come to an end and God will fulfill his promise. Can I get an amen, church? The wait will come to an end because God's word is the final word. Yes. The word of God over us is yes and amen, not no and maybe and sometimes. No, the word of God is yes and more yes and yes, I'm gonna fulfill my promise. And you would say today, I've been waiting and I've been growing tired and weary and I need the Holy Spirit to come and just breathe fresh life into me. Could you just raise your hand right now? Anyone like that? Okay, thank you. Okay, if you raise your hand, could you just stand up right now? I'm gonna pray for you, about a third of you. Just go ahead and stand. It's... Okay. Thank you, Jesus. If you're standing, go to put your hands on your heart. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for fresh encouragement. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your presence, your strength. Jesus' name. There's so many people waiting for justice, waiting for you to put things right. And Lord, I just ask you would come and encourage every son and daughter in Jesus' name. If there are any parents that are praying for their kids, you've been praying for some time for them to come back to Jesus, could you just wave your hand? I want to agree with you in prayer. Okay, I just keep your hands waved, waved at me. Okay, I see those hands. Lord, I thank you for every parent, Lord. Lord, you love, you love them, you love their children. And Lord, we just bind their kids to your will. And Lord, we declare this is in, Lord, I thank you they're coming to an end of a season and that their children would come to their senses. I thank you that they, every parent would be encouraged that Jesus, you're at work in their kid's life and that you will restore and you will encourage. And Lord, I thank you that um, faith right now would grow. Lord, that we would, in this season of waiting, that we will learn to live by faith, by the power of Jesus. Thank you, Father. If there's anyone sick, you've been praying, you're sick in your body, you're like, God, when is this ever gonna end? Maybe it's a chronic thing. Maybe you got really bad news this last week or the last several weeks and you just need strength. Could you just raise your hand? I'm gonna pray for you specifically. Okay, thank you for those hands, Lord. I just thank you now for your strength. 
Thank you for your encouragement. Holy Spirit, come and comfort those who've been waiting for healing. Lord, I thank you that you went to the cross and you died for our sins and you took our weakness and our sickness and our disease. So we just say yes to you, Holy Spirit. We put our trust in you and I thank you, Holy Spirit. Encourage, encourage, encourage and strengthen and fill with life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate response to Habakkuk's complaint. I thank you that we can rejoice today because Jesus won the victory over the powers, over sin, over death. And Lord, I thank you that we today have the victory and the victory is our faith. So bless your sons and daughters. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.